Beloved Church of God, beginning our service, let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Let the resurrection of Christ manifest in our hearts. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the blood of the covenant to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in the service be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, ignorance, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And so, stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you in the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit, fill us with your Holy Spirit, and allow us to find your holy countenance. I present the service into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. The Book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 45 and 48. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Pastor called a sermon called to perfection. I paid attention. He, he makes his son. Beautiful words. God commands only his clouds and his son. And so this pro this promised commandment is written in uh, the book of Matthew and is presented to us in the series of sermons of pastor. It is the inheritance of saints of all time and this commandment is addressed by Christ to his disciples. And therefore, those who do not accept the authority of the person sent by God have no relation whatsoever to the inheritance of this commandment. And so, we have stopped to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a person expressed in the ability to clothe our essence into the holy or the selective love of God. Colossians chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. Based on these words, the reign of the peace of God or the righteousness of God, because one pastor paid attention, he said, when he talks about the righteousness of God, he talks about peace with God, because it's impossible to have peace with God without the righteousness of God. And therefore, the reign of the peace of God or the righteousness of God in our hearts is possible only under one condition. If His selective love will dwell in our hearts, and if we will be clothed in the selective love of God. 
and the character of the selected love of God is presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the light of seven unearthly virtues. And Apostle Peter offers this to us in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 8, and we could read these. And there are seven components of the virtue. This is virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly love, and love. We have heard that each individual virtue of the fruit of virtue contains the characteristics of all other virtues because they flow from one another, fulfill one another, strengthen one another, and are found in one another. These virtues are the moral perfections and standards that are inherent to the essence of God. And they are given to us through Christ Jesus. And we are called to become enriched with them and to enter into the inheritance of these virtues is possible only by accepting the Holy Spirit as the Lord and ruler of our life in the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. So here we see two faiths that stand together. Our faith with a lowercase and the faith of God with an uppercase. God likes this. Faith, our faith with a lowercase in cooperation with faith with an uppercase letter. How beautiful. Through the inheritance of these great and precious promises, we are made partakers of God's essence. And so, the selective love of God expressed in seven unearthly, unearthly virtues and characteristics has nothing in common and cannot have anything in common with the nature of the tolerant love of man that is filled with ignorance, selfishness, and inconsistency. And apart from the tolerant and selfish love of man, the unconditional selected love of God differs in that it carries the all-consuming zeal of God, His omnipotence, and His absolute wisdom that is impossible to use for selfish and ignorant reasons. It is the fruit of the selective love of God contained in the format of seven virtues that is called to destroy the power of death in our body and replace it with the reign of the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and to clothe our bodies in the resurrection of Christ in the face of the new man. And let us again remember quickly all of these seven definitions, how they are tied with one another. All of these definitions are taken from the sermons of pastor and we will sum them up so that we can continue to remember them because there are these perfections that we must become enriched with because we must be like God. We are called to perfection. We must be uh, resembling the Father. And I can't resemble anyone else besides the Father. I can't have have the dignity of Him as omnipresent. I can't be at different places at one time or I can't be all-knowing. I know according to the measure of my faith. God who is omnipotent. I look into myself, but God sees everything and in everyone. And I can't compare in this with my Father, but these qualities that are offered to us, these seven virtues, we have them just as God has them. I am living and I sit, right? That means that I have spoken everything correctly. Let us remember that speaking about uh, virtue, we have established the origin and source of all good. Whereas knowledge 
in the selective love of God is called to give us discerning of what is good and what is bad and what God views as good and what he views as evil. The third quality, self-control, gives us the power to choose what God views as good and reject what he views as evil. The patience of Christ and the selective love of God is founded on the ability to look at what God views as good and await with hope for the fulfillment of what we have seen with faith. And the discipline of godliness and the selective love of God is called to keep itself undefiled from what God views as good and to hallow God in our hearts and souls, undefiled from what God views as evil. And the brotherly love serves as the guide from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love the brother abides in death. And so, in a certain format, seven characteristics which define in our essence the virtue of God in the perfection of His selective love of God. And we have already studied five components. Therefore, we will turn to the sixth one. We will continue to study the sixth characteristic. This is brotherly love. We have heard that when a person is born of God, and we all have endured this, he is given the choice. This is to either enter a state of death and become dead to God and unsuitable for any good deed, or enter a state of eternal life that he did not know of before and become fit for all good deeds in demonstrating brotherly love. 1 John chapter 3, verses 14-18 through 18. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. So here it's not written that we feel or we think that we have gone from death to life. It says we know that we have gone from death to life because we love the brethren. This means that this whole passage that ends with a period, it is tied with one another. Even love to the brethren, it is found in the aspect of knowledge. Feelings will come, but first is knowledge and information. Scripture does not say that we feel that we love the brethren, and from this we know that we have gone from death to life. Scripture says that we know that we love the brethren. No, meaning I know. And you know, Considering what our church has gone through and what our holy, what each holy person, behind this knowledge fo- follows emotions and everything. We know that this is not just knowledge, but this is experience that has completely covered all spheres of our life, including our emotions as well. So we have lived through many things, um, but these things behind them are, follow our emotions. And... And here John says that first we must know that we have passed from death to life. Why? Because we love the brethren. Not feel, but we know that we love the brethren. First, there's knowledge, then emotions follow. Because he who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Love we have known because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And so, considering that brotherly love steps into legal power and gains its legitimacy when we comprehend that we are found in a state of infancy, so we know that when we leave infancy, brotherly love gains legitimate reasons. 
We have read here uh, the passage right before this that when a person is born of God, he has been born again and he is given a choice to either enter into a state of death or to enter into a state of life. How do we enter into a state of life out of the state of death? It is necessary to leave infancy. Why? Because brotherly love will die in one month. I know a person has been born again, he loves, and he is astonished by the church, but then he will uh, come across resentment, gossip, envy, and without difference, brotherly love that has come from death to life. Without this, he will die. And that's why it's necessary for him to leave infancy, because those people who are who are remaining in infancy in this position, who do not leave it, who are carnal, they stumble upon everything. They hate people. They gossip them. They they uh, they see weird dreams about them. This negative potential that is found in them. Why? Because they have not left infancy. And in order to leave infancy, we are offered four components. Let us take a look at how we can leave infancy so that that brotherly love, love that we can talk about can become legitimate. Otherwise, this will simply be just a dead theory for us. We need to leave infancy first to leave infancy is through the revelation in our heart to accept the authority of one person who's clothed in the powers of the fatherhood of god and our refusal to explore the vast internet and evangelic gatherings which this person is not the head of second to leave infancy is through instruction in faith to leave and reject our nation, the house of our Father, and the corrupt desires of our soul that are focused on so-called good works. Third, how do we leave infancy? To leave infancy is through instruction and faith to engrave the truth of the reigning teaching of Christ on the tablets of our heart that have been cleansed from dead works. And fourth, to leave infancy through instruction and faith is to accept the Holy Spirit in our heart as the Lord and ruler of our life. And pastor said that this is the minimum, minimum that we that will allow us to lawfully say that we have brotherly love. Infants and carnal people, they do not have brotherly love. Why? Because brotherly love begins from this uh, knowledge of the truth that is engraved in the heart, and then emotions will follow. But if a person is always based on emotions, then he is going to stumble and he is going to be seduced. Are these Christians? Yes, these are all Christians that we are talking about. The church is this sanatorium where people are healed. This is not a hotel in Hawaii, a prestige hotel where people simply rest. This is a sanatorium. People dwell in the Lord here, and at the same time, they are healed here because everyone wants to become better in Christ Jesus. Everyone wants to go from justification to righteousness. Here, people need a doctor because they love the Lord. That's why it's necessary to have brotherly love, and for this it's necessary to leave infancy. Proceeding from the revelations of Scripture, the nature of brotherly love, which forms in our hearts the atmosphere of eternal life, is hidden in the love of God, agape. And unlike the three types of human love, it is beyond, uh, it is it is found in the sphere in which God dwells. So, human love is in the physical dimension, and agape love is found in the dimension in which God dwells, the fourth dimension, in the heavens, in church, and in the spirit of a person. And it was was necessary for us to answer four classic questions. First, by what characteristics should we define people who are a part of the category of our brothers, for whom we are called to lay down our lives in order to demonstrate brotherly love in our faith? Second, what purpose is a selective love of God called to fulfill in brotherly love toward one another? Third, what conditions are necessary to fulfill to demonstrate the selective love of God 
in brotherly love, in our faith, and fourth, by what signs should we test ourselves for the presence of brotherly love toward one another in the selective love of God? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. And we will consider that we are talking not about brothers in the flesh, but brothers uh, among saints. In a certain format, we have already looked at the first three questions in the demonstration of the selective love of God agape and brotherly love, and we have stopped to study the third question, and it sounds like this. Again, we will read it. By which signs should we define for the presence of brotherly love toward one another in the selective love of God? And this is the fourth question. And we, uh, on our last time, we talked about two components, uh, two results, and today we will talk about the two others. Let's remind ourselves of the two that we have already gone over. So the first result of our demonstration of brotherly love in our faith will be when we cast out from the circle of our fellowship the person who secretly slanders our neighbor. And... Again, let's very quickly, let's remember what this point was referring to. This was talking about how slander is one of the most favorite weapons of devil. And it can dwell and it can be expressed only there where man is. It is uh, intended to kill a person through another person. Through whom it can kill? Through the old man, first and foremost. Second, it can kill through the carnal people, and third, it can kill through the wicked and lawless people. So the slander comes through these three instances. This is the weapon of Satan, our old man. Again, old man, man. Satan is a spirit, uh, and he needs, first and foremost, to use the old man. The old man destroys our spirit, our new man. That's who he, the weapon is intended against. Who do the carnal people in the church kill? Christians, brothers and sisters, with their slander. They kill other saints. And who do the wicked and lawless kill? They kill only the anointed men of God. Those whom God has established, uh, and they attribute their vices to this person, and they attribute the, uh, the good the good parts of the pastor to themselves. This is what they intend to do. And the old man is focused on killing our spirit. And he can kill our spirit through this slander. And this happens when, of course, the old man has a certain weapon. And one of his favorite weapons is are those substances of our soul that have not yet gone through death. That's why pastor in every sermon says that we must die to this, this, and this. Our nation, the house of our Father, and our own desires, we must die to ourselves. Why does he continually repeat it? Because any substance of our soul that has not gone through death is going to be the weapon for the old man in order to use it in slander against our spirit. And what's interesting that talking about slander, you'll remember the pastor said this thing, that the devil slanders there or on those whom our salvation depends on. So the salvation of our soul, that it's written that, brother, we are saved in hope. Please save your souls. How do you save your soul? Bring it through death, because the old man is going to use those substances of our soul that have not gone through death, and he will use it against our spirit. And our life depends on who? Our eternal life depends on our spirit. Okay, the second example. We are directly dependent on the holy man of God, the anointed man of God. 
And when people, the wicked and lawless people, when they slander against Him, they slander on Him through whom salvation comes. Salvation comes through our spirit and upon all our essence. It comes through the anointed man of God, as it is written, that all of the promises of God in Him, so in Christ Jesus, are in Him, yes, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through apostles. This is known by God, this we have heard, and this Satan knows quite well. And he knows that our salvation is directly dependent on the person whom God has established. Why? Because now he can use uh, the slander against this kind of person. He uses slander against our spirit because my essence depends on my spirit. He uses slander against the anointed men of God because my salvation is directly dependent on him. And my salvation is also dependent on you. And this is very important, my relationship toward you. Carnal people, they slander against the inheritance of God. Why? Because they do not forgive, they stumble. Uh, but Scripture says, each time when we st stand in prayer, our Father in heaven, we say, Lord, forgive me as I forgive my debtor. And if I do not forgive, devil says, okay, well, if you can't forgive your debtor, this means that you have forgiveness? No. And this person then begins to slander. He says, this person has no forgiveness and um, his salvation must be taken away from him. So talking about slander, uh, we must cast out from the circle of our fellowship the person. And this person, again, we are referring to our old man, those who are carnal and lawless and wicked. And they are all those that slander. And of course, the old man, uh, it's a little bit more difficult to cast him out. And we know from experience that wicked and lawless people, God uh, somehow himself gathers them, in, in, uh, gathers them in bundles and then he cuts them off and burns them. And uh, we just are astonished by this. Well, of course, we have seen with our eyes and I would want this to happen with my old man as well. But this doesn't happen with the old man. Everything is completely different. God says, I have helped uh, to bind these tears, uh, but now you must bind your old man yourself by cooperating with me. The second result, and then we'll continue further on, uh, the second result that we have already studied of our demonstration of brotherly love in our faith is our ability to be success successful in brotherly love and be diligent in leading a quiet life, to mind our own business and to work with our own hands, that we may walk properly toward those who are outside and that we may lack nothing. So here, Pastor has said that our diligence must uh, must be focused on minding our business, working with our own hands, and walking properly. We talked about what diligence is. What is diligence? Diligence is not just a strong desire, a strong, um, strong thirst. There he gave a lot of different definitions in sequence from which we can conclude that we must use our rational and our voluntary capabilities in order to achieve the will of God with strong satisfaction and astonishment from this process. So here we are. What is diligence? And diligence can have, um, diligence is a quality the only a warrior prayer can have. So this person, he uses his rational and voluntary abilities to fulfill the will of God. And he will absolutely uh, be led to, uh, to be satisfied and to be astonished at God. This is what diligence is. And I use all my strength, all my energy. Diligence must go from uh, rational voluntary, uh, voluntary capabilities to coming to satisfaction. This must become a delicacy for us. We must, be, uh, we must experience great pleasantry from this. And God accepts everything through uh, diligence. 
And this begins from not emotions, but the rational and voluntary abilities, the volitional abilities that lead us to be, uh, to be, to being, to gaining the satisfaction. This is what it means to have diligence. Diligence to what? To live quietly. This quietness is present there where God is present. It must be present in the church. To live quiet means to create an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit in which He can show the power of His Word that can be revealed to the power of the Holy Spirit to show through Mim and Urim. It's necessary to create this atmosphere. It was created by Christ. It was created by the prophets of God. Before God spoke, they had to create this specific atmosphere. This means to live quietly, to create this atmosphere for the Holy Spirit in which the Holy Spirit can reveal His Word. Right now, for example, we have a wonderful atmosphere. At every service, we have a wonderful atmosphere. This is that atmosphere where the Holy Spirit can reveal His Word. This is the same atmosphere that dwells in the church I must also have in my heart. If there is sound, if there is a storm in there, and there's going to be when I see a bunch of different sources of mass, mass sources of information, when I listen to the mass media, mass bloggers, and people begin to believe bloggers, you know, this word, even the the word when I hear these kind of internet expressions or internet slander or words, I should say internet jargon, um, I have this 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 feeling of of unpleasantness to all of these definitions and words. But when saints say, you know, I I, I respect this blogger, I am I feel nauseous when I hear this or look at this person. I look at this blogger. There's a 250-pound man sitting behind the computer. It appears as if he doesn't move. He can't move anywhere. He can't go even go into the kitchen. What kind of a blogger is he? To live quietly is to create an atmosphere in our heart and in the Church of God so that the Holy Spirit can act. Furthermore, Scripture says that we must not only diligently lead a quiet life, but diligently strive to mind our own business and to work with our own hands. Brother Daniel, what work do you have in the church or what business do you have? I said, well, yesterday we dug. Today I'm sitting, listening to pastor in 15 minutes. Uh, if we sing, I will sing. And then on Tuesday, if I'm called to, to speak, I will speak. Then I will listen. This is my business. Business is to do that, which in this moment is needed. For example, what is the work of uh, singers? People will say, why you've heard what kind of voices we have, tenors and basses. They should, their work is to sing. But right now, singers... They sit and listen. When they sing, I sing along with them, although I'm not a singer. All that I know from music is what pastor said. When you sing, try to hear so that from the left and right-hand side, you can listen to others. This is all I know about music, that when you sing with others, you must listen to who is on the left and who is on the right, and then you will sing correctly. But these understandings like uh, like how to understand what... Um, uh, the tones and keys or octaves, all of this, I don't know. But I've learned that when you sing, that you must listen to the person who is standing right next to you. And this is to do your own work, to do that which is necessary as joint knits. So for on my shoulders, I have written, uh, helper, Christian. No, call, tell me your calling. Well, this is my calling, to help. My work is to be a helper and to do that which is necessary to do here right now. If I need to dig, I will dig. If I need to sing, I will sing. If I need to preach, I will preach. If I need to read, I will read. And this is my, this is my business. This is my work. This is the work of every holy person. And of course, to work with our own hands. Why? 
so that we can give God a tenth and uh, experience great, great satisfaction from this and to also serve the saints. And let's move on to the third sign or the third result of our demonstration of brotherly love and our faith. This will be our ability to keep quiet when someone devoid of understanding for whom we are a neighbor despises, despises us. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 12 He who is a void of understanding despises his neighbor but a man of understanding holds his peace and therefore a man with understanding is a person with a sound mind who understands what to say when to say it and when to keep quiet whereas a man devoid of understanding is a person who is weak-witted or poor in mind who has a significant lack of reasonable abilities and in assessing what is happening. So a person devoid of understanding is not just a person who has a low IQ. Uh, people think that uh, if they're high IQs, they follow bloggers, and these people are actually devoid of understanding. I think that these people are simply foolish. When people say, I respect this blogger, I, I he, in my eyes, he loses such value. And this is a person who is, his, who, uh, is devoid of understanding. And he cannot appraise that which is happening or assess that which is happening in the church. He cannot assess. People say, no, I can give an assessment. Well, it will likely not coincide. We must have trembling patience and not other kinds of actions. And therefore, one who is devoid of understanding, he cannot as quickly assess what is happening. And therefore, he who is devoid, he neglects his neighbor and his capabilities on which his salvation depends. And a man devoid of understanding causes his neighbor who has understanding to feel compassion and care responsibility for him before God. You have to attain this level in order to express this compassion. I know you have to have uh, you have to have a heart. And I'm looking at this as uh, as a brother. And the author of this is the father. And here we will read. I'm reading. And for these words, I need to see that someone who is devoid of understanding causes compassion upon the person, cause of compassion over the person who has understanding. You need to reach this kind of state in order to have this compassion against, have this compassion so, towards someone who is devoid of understanding. And therefore, um, let's take a look at what spheres a person who is devoid of understanding can, uh, can be expressed in. It is expressed in in the relationship of the rational capabilities of our soul with the rational capabilities of our new man. So, our rational capabilities that have not gone through the death of Christ in relation to our spirit, to the new man, they are devoid of understanding. Second, this is the relationship of a person clothed in the powers of the fatherhood of God with people for whom he carries a responsibility for and for whom he is a neighbor. So here we must understand that we come to the man of God and we ask a question. Well, let's at least, let's at, if we have come to ask a question, let's at least look as if we're interested in the answer. So devoid of answer, meaning uh, a lack of knowledge of how to act. I come and I need to remain silent when I'm asking this question. Third, this is the relationship of a spiritual person with a carnal person for whom a spiritual person is a neighbor. 
So between the spiritual and the carnal, there is also this relationship. A carnal person compared to a spiritual person in the eyes of God is always devoid of understanding. The reason why a carnal person neglects a spiritual person is comprised of the fact that the natural or the carnal man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. This is written in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The help that is shown to a man devoid of understanding, although he neglects this help, is comprised of the fact that when a man devoid of understanding speaks his contempt, the man with understanding simply remains quiet, simply remains quiet. I have seen this in practice. No, in practice, a pastor has demonstrated this. Sometimes people will say, oh, everything is so great. This is some such great fellowship. Or at a table, there begins a certain person and he completely leads this conversation in a different direction. And pastor, what kind of jokes is this? Pastor begins to converse and certain things begin to happen. You know, pastor is very beautifully quiet. He does not groan or moan or speak some kind of contempt, saying what kind of things are spoken. We have invited pastor and a person comes or a group of people come and they begin to do something. Why? Pastor acts very beautifully. He simply remains quiet and he continues to eat and then when he is asked he begins to continue and to speak so that which a person has written I know that this person that has written these words in these notes he lives according to them and therefore the help that is shown to a man devoid of understanding um, is when a man devoid of understanding speaks his contempt and the man with understanding remains quiet Speaking with contempt, meaning he speaks those words that he he shouldn't. This silence uh, is a kind of art, forming the image of the righteous in which a man with understanding stoops down to his brother devoid of understanding and does not pay attention to contempt toward his help. To be silent in relationships with one another is the art that forms the image of the righteous in which a man with understanding stoops down to his brother devoid of understanding and does not pay attention to contempt toward his help. Here's what to be silent in Hebrew means. means to be quiet, to be deaf, to plow, prepare the soil for sowing, to be plowed, to be prepared, to draw the commandments with the spirit of the living God in the heart, to form and engrave the image of the righteous. This is the capability of being quiet. Therefore, uh, this is when the one devoid of understanding uh, speaks contempt, we are silent. When God in relationship with us is silent, so it turns out in our relationships with God, we also may be devoid of understanding, and he might be silent as well. Why? We are talking about how when a man devoid of understanding speaks his contempt, and we do oftentimes in prayer, we express our uh, dissatisfaction, then the one who is has understanding is quiet. He's quiet. And when God uh, is silent, and his silence is an eloquent answer that either prepares the soul of our heart for sowing or forms us into the image, cutting off from us elements of the flesh that are foreign to him. So his silence in relation to people speaks a lot. We turn to him, we pray to him, we wait for him, and then there is silence. Why? 
on the foundation of this text, I have understood that in the foundation of this revelation, that he is like the preparing our heart for sowing. He is forming the righteous into his image. He cuts off from us all elements of the flesh that are foreign to him. Or with his silence, he uh, demonstrates his distaste or content toward man. Do you remember when that Pharisee and Sadducees they brought a woman to the temple and they uh, stood her in the middle and said that Moses had Moses had told us to stone these kind of people with stones. Well, what will you say to us? They said. Scripture says that these words. He very slowly stooped down and he began to write something in the ground. Not Scripture says not paying any attention to them. He was silent. But because they continued to ask him, tell us, tell us what we should do with this woman. He lifted his eyes and said only one phrase. He who without you is sin, cast the first stone. And he again uh, dropped down his head and he began to be silent. His words has judged him. So this silence, this is a catastrophe. God will not want to have any kind of relationship toward us. And his silence is to show his content toward us. When God, in His silence, wants to show the lawlessness and His uh, content toward Him, His answer condemns a person and pushes Him to even more evangelism. Why do people leave the Word of God? Why are they oftentimes led straight to evangelism? This is not easy. When you come to God, and when he, if He at some point answered you, or maybe He allowed you to feel Him, but now He is silent, and then you only hear the voice of coyotes and demons, and now you need to, and you need to end this. And a person goes, and he goes to evangelism. He goes to do the things that he didn't used to do before. Why? Because we, when we hear these howls, this eternal howl that will not dwindle, a person will be led to do any kinds of things. He might kill someone. He might go to evangelism. It's necessary to not hear this howl. It's a very, very scary when God turns turns away and any of His words then begin to condemn us. This is dangerous. But when He speaks to the righteous, when He speaks to the righteous in His silence, He forms into Him His image and His likeness. And He cuts off from us all foreign elements and prepares our heart to be sown with the seed of the word of God. And let's take a look at David, how God had demonstrated his silence toward him. Psalms chapter 30 verses 1 to 13. There in the middle of this text, God will uh, grow silent. First, he tells David everything as well, right? And then as soon as he had spoken, I, I, then the Lord grows silent. He says, you, he had praised him, praised him, and as soon as he said, I am immovable, he grew silent and he, David asks, Lord, where are you? Oh, Lord, I will call out to your mercy. Just please return. Well, let's take a look at this image and this illustration. A Psalm of David. A song at the dedication or the renewal of the house of David, or as Pastor said, upon the re- resurrection uh, of, or upon the redemption, the reign of the re- redemption of the body of Christ, upon the reign of the redemption of Christ in our bodies. Psalm of David. A song at the renewal. So when a person is prepared to affirm the resurrection of Christ in his body, let us take a look at David did. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you and you healed me, O Lord. You brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive. 
that I should not go down into the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of His, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holy name. For His anger is but for a moment, His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now, in my prosperity, I said, I shall not never be moved, or I shall never be moved. Lord, by Your favor, You have made my mountain stand strong. You hid Your face, and I was troubled. And I was troubled. I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me, Lord. Be my helper. First you say, I shall never be moved. Uh, David says, and here thou he was crying out to God, have mercy on me, Lord. Be my helper. You have turned from me my mourning into dancing. And you have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness to the end that my glory may praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. So if we are silent in our relationship with our brother who is devoid of understanding when he speaks his contempt at us, this means that we have the atmosphere of brotherly love in our heart and have passed from death to life. This is the third sign. So the fourth sign. The result of our demonstration of brotherly love in our faith is our ability to not give place to the devil. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 32. While angry, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, and that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And so let's take a look at these six components. And so to not give place to the devil so that the sun does not go down to our wrath. Second, to not give place to the devil is to not give place to the devil is to whoever stole not steal any longer, but rather labor, working with our hands on what is good. Third, to not give place to the devil is to not allow any corrupt word to proceed out of our mouth, but only that what is good for and necessary for edification and faith that it may impart grace to the hearers. For to not give place to the devil is to not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom we were sealed for the day of redemption. Fifth, to not give place to the devil is to put away all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking with all malice. Sixth, to not give place to the devil is to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, and forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave us. So, six components, and now, more specifically, let's talk about each of them. So, the first component, according to which we must judge that we do not give place to the devil, so that we can keep ourselves in the boundaries of the atmosphere of brotherly love, is to, while angry, not sin, so that the sun does not go down on our wrath. Each of us, constantly, to one degree or another, can and do feel the emotion of anger, and suffers from the eruptions of this flame hidden in us. But not every one of us is able to define and evaluate our anger. Not everyone is able to identify the source of his anger. Not everyone is able to control his outburst of anger. And not everyone can hide the rising amplitudes of his anger. And not every one of us is able to soothe the fury of the flame of his anger. But each of us does uh, feel this emotion of anger. But not everyone is able 
to withhold from it or to have self-control against it or to to calm the anger. Uh, the motion of anger itself is a certain ability of a person to react with indignation to apparent injustice and to violation of both our sovereign rights and the sovereign rights of our neighbors. And also, uh, in Hebrew, anger includes the following characteristics. Anger is indignation, annoyance, sorrow, chagrin, rage, bitterness, envy, insult, heat, flame, ardor, poison. Cancer, ulcer of the stomach, heart attack. All those should be added to the list as well. Not just in Hebrew, but in Russian and Ukraine, all of it sounds the same. Uh, in this regard, I will give several statements of philosophers, scientists, politicians, and other famous people of this world who have left a trace in the history of mankind and what they say about anger. What's interesting, Pastor says that they talk about anger in the biblical aspect. Why? And all of them say as if one thing, and all of them say uh, as if correctly. Why? Because when people say water, people, everyone in every country knows what water is. When they say cow's milk, everyone knows what cow's milk is. When they say honey, everyone knows what bee honey is. When they say anger, all people know because this lives in every person. And when he had uh, mentioned these uh, phrases, people said people in different times, in different countries, with different cultures, they talk about anger in the same sense. Why? Because it is a part of man and it occurs, uh, it, it comes from hell. And this is what. Uh, Philosophers say anger enslaves and humiliates even a worthy person. Reproach in the heat of anger is not punishment but revenge. Where anger ended, remorse began. Not only does anger bring confusion to the soul, it also binds the hands of the punisher. Each blow that we inflict in anger ultimately falls on ourselves. Anger is never without reason, but this reason is rarely convincing. If you are filled by anger, try to distract your attention from the subject that caused it. Thus, by removing combustible material that supports the flame, you will extinguish it. Weigh everything. Always control yourself. Anger is a sign of the stupidity of people. Whoever does not respond with anger to anger saves both himself and the other. And uh, the anger of good people is nothing more than an urgent need to forgive. One statement in the book of Job summarizes the above remarks about anger with these words. For wrath kills a foolish man, and envy slays a simple one. Apostle uh, James, addressing every person who has a part in the congregation of saints who are called to inherit the adoption of their body through the redemption of Christ, wrote these words. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. However, if we possess the above ability expressed in our understanding, things to which we can tame our anger before the sun goes down, then we cannot give a place to the devil, so that we can keep ourselves within the boundaries of the atmosphere of brotherly love. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 16. A fool's wrath is known at once, but a prudent man covers shame. We have all the possibilities and means and the dignity of the ruling or the reigning teaching of Christ embodied in our hearts and the Holy Spirit revealing the truth of this teaching in our hearts to consider ourselves dead to the emotions of anger that dominate us and consider ourselves alive to God, calling non-existent freedom from the power of anger as existing. 
This is a very beautiful phrase. Again, I have read this uh, perhaps a little incorrectly, I think pretty quickly, too quickly. Let's take a look at it again. We must consider ourselves dead to the rule of emotions of anger over us and consider ourselves alive to God, calling the unexisting freedom from the power of anger as existing. Take a look. To consider ourselves dead to the rule of anger over us and to consider ourselves alive to God, calling non-existent freedom from the power of anger as existent. These are in the words of prayer. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This was the first component, and uh, the first component of what we can do to not give place to the devil. The second component, according to which we must judge that we do not give the place to devils, so that we can keep ourselves in the boundaries of atmosphere of brotherly love, is to whoever stole, not stealing any longer, but rather labor, working with our hands on what is good, that we may have something to give who has need. And let's take a look at where and what spheres this happens. Uh, if if we use our brother in the interest of our covetousness, then we are not found in the atmosphere of uh, brotherly love and we are headed to eternal perdition. And therefore, in the boundaries of the kind of atmosphere in which we live on earth, that same atmosphere we will inherit in the and we will find ourselves in the boundaries of this atmosphere. The atmosphere we live in now, in that same atmosphere, I will live in eternity. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 7-10. through 10. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And furthermore, he said, uh, those who take away from the brothers, they will also, along with this group, will not inherit the kingdom of God. We will say, well, what kind of th a thievery? The next kind of theft, again, we're hearing these definitions and we're trying to examine ourselves in what spheres uh, and what kind of spheres we might be thieves. And the, in my genetics, I, I don't even have this to not steal are you sure? Okay, well, let's check. Again, we just began. The next kind of theft is when we lead a parasitic lifestyle and do not withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly, but scurry or lead a parasitic lifestyle. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. We command your brethren in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day. So what does Apostle Paul call a disorderly conduct in the church? Disorderly conduct in the church. He said, we did not eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us.
For when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. So take a look, this kind of disorderly conduct, laziness, a person does not want to work. This is a kind of a disorderly conduct. The next kind of theft is when we follow people who steal God's words from each other. By following such people, we converge with thieves, and instead of inheriting the kingdom of God, we inherit eternal perdition. Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 30-32 Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, who steal my words, every one from his neighbor. Behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, who use their tongues and say, He says. Behold, I am against those who prophesy false dreams, says the Lord, and tell them and cause my people to err by their lies and by their recklessness. Yet I did not send them or command them, Therefore, they shall not profit this people at all, says the Lord. This is a kind of theft, when people steal from one another on the vast expanses of the Internet. The other kind of theft in relation to each other with which we give a place to the devil are the words of the messengers of God whose authorship we ascribe to ourselves. Uh, Joel chapter 3, verse 5, Because you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried into your temple my prized possessions. So when we accept truths, that we like, but our heart is not cleansed from dead works. Can you imagine? A scripture calls these foolish deeds. If you hear the truth and you like them, and you say, I accept, I accept, let this be to me, according to your word. But there is, uh, your heart is not cleansed from dead works. So first it's necessary to take off, then it's necessary to cleanse, and then we can place the riches or possessions in them. 2 Corinthians 2.17 For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. The next kind of theft in relation to each other, by which we give a place to the devil, is to appropriate a mercenary's pay to ourselves. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 13 You shall not cheat your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. The next kind of theft in relation to each other, by which we give a place to the devil, is when we build our house with unrighteousness and our upper rooms with injustice, forcing our neighbor to work for nothing. Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 13. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness, and his chambers by injustice, who uses his neighbor's service without wages and gives him nothing for his work. These are these things that can happen. I don't know that this would happen in our church, that somebody would manipulate another brother and say, I'm reading this and I can rejoice that I have not come across this personally. Perhaps pastor communicating with saints, he knows more. But uh, to manipulate a person, you're a brother, help me. Um, I'm a brother, you're my brother of mine, help me. No, uh, we bless one another. It's will be very, very good for these truths to still remain in our hearts nonetheless. And the most unforgivable kind of theft is when we rob God of tithes and offerings, which are the holiness and property of God and are at our disposal, but do not belong to us. 
Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will be not there will not be room enough to receive it. So to not give a place to devil means to not steal. Uh, the third component, according to which we must judge that we do not give place to the devil so that we can keep ourselves in the boundary of the atmosphere of brotherly love, is to not allow any corrupt word to proceed from out of our mouth, but only that what is good for necessary edification and faith that it may impart grace to the hearers. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no rotten word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Here, um, again, we're talking about rotten, corrupt words. And again, here are Christians here, and I don't hear that people would swear or say these words that are corrupt. We do not, right, right now we do not have this in church. In the original Greek language, the word rotten means idle, rotten, decayed, spoiled, worthless, and bad. Our words emanating from a heart that is not cleansed of dead works. No matter how correct and kind in our eyes it may seem, in the eyes of God they are considered the evil from which the stench of our decaying flesh comes from. So here a pastor has uh, offered a different sphere to look at. He said, we can't hear say bad words. Okay, we don't speak bad words. Here he also says, we speak good words, but these good words, if the soil of our heart was not prepared, then we take these things, these treasures, we bring them into this kind of heart. And then in this kind of heart, we begin to worship Baal. But we call him the names of God. We call him the Lord Almighty, Jesus Christ, our Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. Take a look at kind of images painted here. People take precious promises. They bring it into their heart that is not cleansed of dead works because they have not been taught in their heart. What kind of dead works? What Do we have kind of dead works? Yes, we have dead works. And we must cl- be cleansed of it. And then we must... Uh, a person when he begins to serve God from the position of this uncleansed heart he does not worship Christ he worships Baal and therefore when Elijah said if Baal is the Lord then follow him you know the people do not know what to answer him because Baal answers them and Yahweh does not answer them in prayer and the inhabitants knew they began to plead to him when they began to, they they knew that Baal gave them supernatural miracles, but God was silent. And God did not give them these miracles. Because when God is silent, all of heaven is silent, and all of hell is silent. Everything is silent. When the majesty is quiet, the others are quiet. When the judge sits and he carries out a verdict, all the criminals, the whole world is quiet. He will carry out a verdict at this time. Therefore, idle or corrupt words must be 
departed from us. Psalms chapter 50, verses 16 to 22. It's written that, But to the wicked God says, What right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth? Sing your hate instruction and cast my words behind you. When you saw a thief, you consented with him and have been a partaker with adulterers. You give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I kept silent. I th you thought that I was altogether like you, but I will rebuke you. Lord, uh, he says, I will rebuke you. Did you pre prepare the soul of her heart? No. Did you form the image of the righteous? No. In this quietness, he had demonstrated his uh, distaste toward what was happening. He says, I was quiet, and you thought that I was just like you. I will pour out. I will rebuke you and set them in order before your eyes. Now consider this, you who forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. Each time when we, against Scripture, have not cleansed our conscience from um, the filth of our lips and take God's covenant into our unclean lips to justify ourselves, we give place to the devil. The fourth component according to which we misjudge that we do not give a place to the devil so that we can keep ourselves in the boundaries of atmosphere of brotherly love is to not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom we were sealed for the day of redemption. When does this happen? When can we uh, grieve the Holy Spirit? This happens when we, by virtue of our whims, leave our assembly for which Christ died and rose again. In doing so, we trample on the Son of God and do not honor the holy blood of the covenant and offend the Spirit of grace. This is written in Hebrews. Take a look. He said he wrote this to Hebrews. People were religious, knowing God. They were taught from childhood. If he wrote this to the Romans, to the Corinthians, to the Ephesians, to the Gentiles, to those believers out of the Gentiles, I would understand. But here he talks about those people who from childhood knew that they need to go to worship in the synagogue and then three times a year to go into the temple to worship God. Jews, take a look at what he had written them. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fire indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the son of god underfoot counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace abandoning one's assembly as one of the grave sins for which there is no sacrifice for sin what kind of sacrifice for sin? You can't go out to the altar. A person who has left his, left his assembly, you must run to the altar because um, there are many sins and this person begins to legalize sins. And when a person begins to legalize sins, the first thing that happens, uh, it is written on the forehead. He expresses his distaste or certain things. I don't agree with this and that. What does this mean? This means that a person has some kind of sin for which... Um, he had no opportunity to come out to repent. He missed church, and then he had begun to legalize sin. He has legalized it. And how is this expressed? He begins to uh, to throw out replicas. I don't agree with this. I don't see it this way, and so forth. This means that that's it. A person has legalized sin. The next step would be death.
These kind of people will be cast out of the mouth of God and their names will be blotted out of the book of life. These people, as well as those people who maintain relations with them, will never see with their own eyes and will never hear with their own ears and will not understand the salvation of God with their hearts and will never turn to God so that God can heal them. The fifth component, according to which we must judge that we do not give place to the devil so that we can keep ourselves in the boundaries of the atmosphere of brotherly love, is to put away all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking with all malice. The words that we spew from our lips in irritation, rage, anger, and slander make our lips unclean and give in our heart a place for the devil. It's very beautifully written here. Words can either be righteous, but when I speak them in rage, anger, slander, then this makes my lips unclean. We say, if we say in anger, son, why did you do this? Or in this indignation, this makes my lips unclean and it gives our heart a place for the devil. And through this atmosphere, I give place for the devil. The reason for such disastrousness for which our conscience has ceased to condemn us is that our conscience has burned down or burned out. Because we departed from the faith of God and began to listen to the spirits of seducers and the doctrines of demons, the hypocrisy of false forgers burned in their conscience. First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Now the Spirit ex expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. The sixth component, according to which we must judge that we do not give place to the devil so that we can keep ourselves in the boundaries of the atmosphere of brotherly love, is to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, and forgiving one another, just as God and Christ forgave us. The observance of this command, in which we are called to forgive one another as God has forgiven us in Christ, will depend on whether our sins will be blotted out from the memory of God or not. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 22, And I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions, and like a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. So, in nature, fog or cloud is smoothed out by the heat emanating from the rays of the rising sun. In the dimension of the spirit, the heat emanating from the rays of the rising sun is forgiveness, created in the atmosphere of brotherly love, abiding in Christ Jesus. We should pay particular attention to how we treat our brothers when we find out that they have sinned in the past by any sin, and by forgiving and confessing sin, God restored them to their former state, which they lost during the fall. Does our attitude towards them correspond to the attitude of God to them, blotting out their sins like a flog? The ability to remember good and to forget or to erase from our memory the insults inflicted on us by our brothers as God eradicates our iniquities when we repent to Him is possible only in one case if we try hard to keep ourselves within the atmosphere of brotherly love. The fourth sign of showing brotherly love in our faith will be our manifested righteousness, which will be tested according to the ability to be saved from the lips of the hypocrite. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 8 through 9. The righteous is delivered from trouble, and it comes to the wicked instead. The hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge the righteous will be delivered. Based on the meaning of this parable, the neighbor for the hypocrite is the righteous man whom he is trying to destroy with his lips, but the righteous man is saved from his lips by knowledge. 
and the hypocrite falls into the networks placed by him for the righteous. The knowledge of the righteous is foresight, which consists in the supernatural ability to distinguish, in the words of a hypocrite, a lie from the truth, pure from unclean, and holy from unholy. A hypocrite is a slander which has grown into hatred, accuses his neighbor of his heart and does not recognize his responsibility over himself, but praises him with his mouth, swears love and fidelity to him, and exalts his abilities. In order to exalt his abilities. The slander wants to exalt his abilities. Thus a person's mouth called to lead him into eternal life turned into a mouth leading him into the underworld through this hypocrisy. In Hebrew, the word mouth means uh, the following. It's good definitions and negative definitions. Uh, mouth or lips means a mouth as well as the mouth of the beast or dragon. Pay attention, this could either be a mouth through which we proclaim our lips or uh, the mouth of the beast or dragon. What is this expressed in? In hypocrisy. To give a compliment in order for a person uh, to be put to slumber. And then we begin to uh, very carefully poison him with small doses. Uh, also, mouth means the hole leading either to the sky or to the underworld. The tip of the sword, pointed arrow or spear. An anvil, a hammer forging either evil or good. This is the measure of weight, severity, weight, scales. The mouth of the river, either emerging from the mouth of the dragon or flowing into eternal life. These are, uh, this is what mouth means. On the one hand, the goal of destruction pursued by a hypocrite, praising the righteous with his lips in order to lull his vigilance is to induce the righteous to indulge him and close his eyes to his wickedness. Again, let's read this one more time. The goal of destruction pursued by a hypocrite, praising the righteous with his lips in order to lull his vigilance, is to induce the righteous to indulge him and close his eyes to his own wickedness. And on the other hand, the purpose of the destruction pursued by the hypocrite, praising the righteous with his lips, is to induce the righteous to agree with his praise, which determines his dignity, and thus to catch him in the devil's snare. Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 18. Now it happened, as we went to prayer, that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. She didn't know that the man of God, Paul, uh, he is saved through this fortune-telling. And so there's a, there is the prophet of God and an evil spirit that are met, that see one another. One was a certain girl possessed with a spirit of divination, and the other a spirit of fortune-telling. These men are the servants of the Most High God. Uh, so the girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, 
turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. To be saved from the mouth of the hypocrite means to accept the praise that comes from the source of the ancient serpent who uses the mouth of the hypocrite. So we must not accept praise, compliments, other things that come not from the righteous but from the hypocrite because they, it is used by the ancient serpent, Satan. Mark 3:11-12, And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. He didn't need in compl- he didn't have a need in compliments from the slander, from the hypocrites. If in our relationships with each other, we have an insight in which we can distinguish the words of a hypocrite from the words of a sincere friend and brother and refuse to accept approval and praise from the lips of a hypocrite, then this means that we have an atmosphere of brotherly love in our hearts and have already passed from death to life. May you be blessed in your prayers. Let us pray. And he who has an ability, uh, you can uh, bend your knees. Who does not have this ability can, can can bow their head. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful for this great privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. We thank you that upon this place, upon which dwells a memorial of your holy name, we have loved you. We have loved you and have called you our God. Because you, Lord, are our stronghold and our fortress. You are our deliverer, our Lord, the rock of our salvation, the horn of our salvation. And you are our fortress and we run to you. We have called upon you as the one who is worthy to be praised, and we believe that you are going to deliver us from all of our enemies, from all of our enemies, Lord, that are found inside of us and out, inside of us and outside of us. We ask you, Lord, to protect us from our enemy that is presented in the form of the old man. We trust in your mercy, and we call out to you, Lord, and we cooperate in your holiness because without you uh, and you without us cannot do anything. If you have taken the responsibility to bound through your to bind through your angel the carnal people, who to bind them into bundles and to prepare them to be burned by the fire, then in relation to our old man, you have said that you will not do anything without us. That's why we trust, Lord, in you. We, along with David, cry out to you so that you can help us be delivered from our enemy. Our enemy that you cannot cast into the underworld without the participation of your inheritance. That tries to penetrate our enemy, that tries to penetrate us through the spheres of our soul that have not gone through death. We thank you, Lord, that we know that we have gone from death to life because that love of God that dwells among us, 
This is that brotherly love that finds its place in the love of God, agape, and dwells only there where God dwells. We thank you, Lord, that your love dwells in heaven and dwells in your church, and this is an atmosphere of love. And this unblemished joy, atmosphere unblemished joy, dwells in us, and we thank you for righteousness, peace, and joy that fills every cell of our essence. We thank you that having these qualities, our body uh, leaves the mark of the old man. Uh, we thank you for the this great uh, lightness that we have in Christ. We thank you that we have decided to take upon your yoke because it is light, because you are carrying it along with us and we are carrying it in you. We thank you, Lord, that we do not carry the cross ourselves, but we carry the cross along with you. You have died on the cross yourself. We can't die without you. You on the cross did that which we would have never done on earth. Having been uh, slaves of sin, you would not do this. Uh, we would not do this. You have done in us, uh, you have done for us that you have done this. That's why allow us to cooperate allow us Lord to thank you for your work that on the cross you lost everything whereas we on the cross lose the image of sinners and gain your divine heavenly image we thank you on the cross you died for our sins whereas we on the cross die uh, and care and suffer for your truth we thank you Lord that you on the cross dying we're left by the Father, whereas we on the cross feel the closeness and the nearness of the Father. We thank you that our cross can cooperate with your cross. You have taken that part of your cross that we would never have carried and would have never been able to fulfill this perfect will. We thank you for the wonderful part of your cross through which you have allowed us to be perfect, as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Without you, we could not do this. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot today fulfill that part of our cross that you have called us to, that you have revealed to us through your anointed man of God. We thank you for these truths. We thank you that today these truths are clearly written in our hearts. We thank you, Lord, that today, we ask you, Lord, that today our hearts continue to be cleansed so they are not evil treasuries because uh, it will transform our prayers into uh, into worshipers of Baal. We want our worship to occur, uh, to occur in the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit, in which He contains His truth. We thank you for the great quietness in the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit in which you reveal the triumph of your word and your revelation. We thank you, Lord, for that quietness that allows in our hearts to seal your revelation and to proclaim it with our lips in the atmosphere of your righteousness. Lord, we leave all anger, all wrath, every malice, and we 
find ourselves in your divine atmosphere and we thank you we thank you for your mercy for the your the spilled blood of your son jesus christ for the cross of christ we thank you for the righteousness by justification by faith we thank you that we today are able to consider ourselves dead to sin to dead to the anger of man dead to all evil to howls and alive to you and we call the inexistent as existent and you Lord imputes the impute this to us according to your word as righteousness and you view ourselves this way if we need to do this until the day of your coming we will do this and we will not uh, doubt any of your promises because this brings you this brings you joy and you are by joining your in your church allow us to serve you lord today with diligence having um, dedicated to you all our rational and volitional capabilities in achieving your will which is transformed into satisfaction from fulfilling and from serving you in the atmosphere of the disciples of Christ and the servants of Christ we thank you Lord for this great and wonderful privilege in which your inheritance exalts service to one another and love toward one another we thank you Lord that today you have revealed the truth to us that we are freed from being devoid of understanding and our soul goes through goes through death and is silent when the spirit speaks we Lord have made the decision to leave the state of being devoid of understanding and to accept the words of your righteous uh, wise people and to make these words the achievement of our heart. Allow us to never express uh, the state of being devoid of understanding. Because when the righteous is silent, having these treasures, and when this status devoid of, of a person devoid of understanding, your anger your anger comes upon these people and allow us for this anger to be directed not by you to us but for us to direct this anger towards the old man which is expressed in the state of being devoid of understanding and we do not allow him to be expressed in us that your anger cannot come upon us because if we judge ourselves and you have said that according to your word that we will be not condemned with the world we Lord condemn in us all that you condemn we in our body condemn all of that which does not coincide with your standard we thank you Lord for the great virtues that have become the achievement of our heart for virtue for knowledge for self-control we thank you for uh, for patience for godliness brotherly love and love and let it abide in us and let us grow in it we thank you for that revelation that we have 
on the golden table of showbreads. And we ask you, Lord, to fill our table with your revelations. We thank you, Lord, that all revelations that lie, all of the breads, they live in the full order, they lay in the full order of God. Because we act with great trembling toward that word that we hear, and we accept it in our heart on the golden table of showbreads. And we, and this demonstrates complete order, and we await for that revelation that we do not understand. We await for that revelation that today is still found in the sphere of the invisible, and we proclaim it as visible, as existent. We thank you for this and for your mercy. Our Almighty Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this bread, our, our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the hand of the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And let us conclude with our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.